Welcome to The Watershed, a podcast that explores relationships between people and water through shared storytelling. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit and community engagement program that engages with water through multiple ways of knowing, scientific and social, political and historical, intellectual and spiritual. The Watershed is a place where everyone is welcome because we are all connected by water. Thank you for joining us. The We Are Water Minnesota exhibit is on the road for its 2022 tour. Throughout the year, We Are Water Minnesota will be visiting five different communities in the state of Minnesota, Winona, Lake City, Alexandria, Ottertail County, and Dakota County. On the Watershed podcast, we'll be sharing series of episodes that reflect on the water stories of people who live in each of these places. We Are Water's first stop is Winona, Minnesota, where you can find the exhibit at the Winona County History Center through April 25th. Today, we hear from Winona community members who speak to why they call Winona home, why they are drawn to Winona's unique landscape and the ways that water moves through it. Nestled in the southeast corner of Minnesota, along the Mississippi River, Winona is part of the Midwest's Driftless Area. The Driftless Area, unlike other parts of the upper Midwest, was not impacted by receding glaciers during the most recent glaciation period, about 2 million to 13,000 years ago. In other places throughout Minnesota, such as the present-day Twin Cities, Migrating glaciers flattened the landscape and left it behind deposits of gravel and sand known as glacial drift. The lack of glacial drift in places like Winona is what makes it driftless. Characterized by deep valleys, rugged topography, and rocky overlooks, Winona's unique geology supports a complex system of cold water streams and underground springs. Winona's residents are by no means unaware of the rich water resources they have access to. Chuck Shepard, a physician who's lived in Winona for 46 years, speaks to some of the ways that water keeps him and his family enchanted by the area. We kind of made a little list of all the things that we've uh, done in the water here. Uh, We came up with 14 of them. You know, some of them would be pretty obvious, but some others that uh, you might not think of, we enjoy going out in the backwaters in the winter and looking for tracks uh, and seeing what animals have been been out there. They're often surprised. Um, we've been staining in Lake Winona with our grandchildren to show them, you know, what's in the what's in the water. It's always interesting to see watching the migrations in the spring and fall. You know, what a wonderful place to uh, to see these, you know, huge migrations. And then just going out in the river to see the fall color, it's, it's the best viewing place of all. Yeah, so there's just, you know, we're so rich with water resources and I think it's such a big part of the quality of life. Across the seasons, water has colored Chuck's experiences in nature, whether in the form of water or snow. Chuck finds beauty not only in the water itself, but in the ways that life interacts with it, the tracks left behind by animals in the snow, or the reflection of autumn leaves on the surface of the river. Just as water interacts with the life that lives on or around it, 
so does the Earth itself interact with the water that moves through it. The geology in the driftless area is known as karst. Karst is like the Swiss cheese of rock. Over thousands of years, rainwater dissolves the region's limestone bedrock to form cracks and openings. Water flows in and out of the bedrock openings. On the surface of a karst landscape, we see springs, sinkholes, and disappearing streams. Underground, there are gaps, spaces, and caves. Karst brings both beauty and danger. In karst regions, water contaminants, like nitrate nitrogen, bacteria, and pesticides, can move quickly into porous underground aquifers. Chuck continues, reflecting on the complexity that this geology brings. Well, it's, it's one of the many things that makes the area so interesting. You know, the geology, you know, with the, the limestone, you know, and uh, the springs, the caves, the rivers that disappear into the ground, sinkholes. Um, it's very complicated and it, it's very fascinating, but also it's, it's the reason we have trout streams basically because of the cold water springs. It also sets us up to be um, for contamination of the groundwater because it's a, it's a pretty quick trip between the surface and the, the aquifers uh, where the water works its way down through cracks in the, in the rock and the cracks gradually get bigger and form channels uh, for water to flow both up and down and then horizontally um, so the movement of groundwater is really, really complicated in this area. There's a blurry line between groundwater and surface water in karst regions. Groundwater can emerge as a spring. Surface water can vanish into a disappearing stream. Gabe Erickson explains how water's many moves in the place where he lives supports a microclimate where some animals thrive year-round. I live in what's called Pleasant Valley, um, kind of southeast of Winona here. And something my valley is kind of known for is that we don't have a whole lot of, like our, our drainage basin for runoff isn't super huge, but we have a lot of freshwater springs in our valley. So our, our stream that runs down the middle of our valley has a bit more flow than people expect when they come into our valley, knowing knowing that our valley is not really big. We've got a pretty decent volume of water coming down the valley just because we've got so many points where there's water just bubbling up out of the ground. Um, the top of our valley was actually at one point called Spout Springs Hill, um, just because there's, there's so many points where the water's just bubbling up. We'll have, we've got bluebirds that stick around all year in a couple of spots just because there's little microclimates around some of these freshwater springs where they can find little invertebrates um, to eat all winter and it stays kind of more mild than, than it is everywhere else. From the bluffs to the Mississippi backwaters of Winona, we've identified over 280 species of birds. The region serves as a refuge for both year-round residents and passers-by. Each fall, the Mississippi River Valley becomes a migration corridor for many species of waterfowl, raptors, and shorebirds moving from their northern summer homes to warmer southern wintering grounds. 
One of the more spectacular birding opportunities in the southeastern Minnesota region is witnessing the impressive concentration of thousands of tundra swans in November at the Weaver Bottoms of Winona County. Such great numbers of tundra swans only gather in this area on their route south. The best time to view the tundra swans is from mid-October through mid-November. Taff Roberts comments on a couple of his favorite birds that can be seen in the area. But the other thing is I want to share is about loons that we're familiar with. And the loon has that little equipment in its nose that it can spend the whole winter out on the ocean. And that's where he is right now. They're out there floating around, intaking salt water. And then they migrate and they head up north and they do a little flip and they can totally change into a freshwater situation. And it's, I think it's amazing. And I just want to add that um, to what add to what Gabe said. There's another bird that um, stays here all winter because of these springs, and that's the Wilson snipe. I'm sure a lot of you know about that bird. And there are some springs in um, Whisper Valley that will that I can go and sometimes there's up to three of them. I'll, I might go out there this afternoon and see if I can find them. The loon is a water-loving bird. Unlike most birds, loons have solid bones, which enables them to dive as deep as 250 feet to catch prey. Loons travel through Winona during the fall while migrating to their winter home on the Atlantic coast or the Gulf of Mexico. While Minnesota has more loons than any other state except Alaska, they face significant human-related threats. One in five loons die from lead poisoning from discarded lead fishing tackle. Using lead-free tackle can protect not only loons, but also swans, eagles, and some mammals. Speaking of eagles, it's not uncommon to spot hundreds of bald eagles overwintering near the Mississippi River, where the river is often ice-free. But it wasn't always this way. In the 1950s, the widespread use of the insecticide DDT led to negative impacts on wildlife, including thin, deformed eggs and birds. This led to a steep bald eagle population decline throughout the 1960s and 70s. Thanks to the work of environmental activists such as Rachel Carson, DDT was banned in the United States in 1972. With the help of habitat conservation and reintroduction efforts, bald eagles have successfully recovered. Having grown up in the area, Sarah Johnson reflects on how she feels when seeing so many eagles today. I grew up on the Mississippi about three hours south of here and now have lived on the Mississippi for definitely the vast majority of my life, um, minus a short amount of time living other places where I missed the water. And so one of the thoughts that I had recently, and this ages me for sure, but I recently, as I saw some eagles flying around in my general vicinity remembered that when I was a child, eagles were going extinct and that there was, that was, you know, Rachel Carson in the, the silent spring and the DDT that was softening the eggs of eagles. And, and now I see them all the time and don't even think twice about it until I remembered that and, and thought what a, what a lucky thing it is to be able to see that on a regular basis, even sometimes right here from my 
the seat that I'm sitting in in my home. I live um, right above the, the small lake in Winona. And so in the last two years, I've sat in this spot, Zooming with people across the country and globe at times. And right outside, I can see, here, I'll show you if you can see it, but right out there is the lake. And so all day long, I watch people like today in this last week, I've been watching people walk around on the water <laughs> because it's frozen now and skate and um, ice fish. And today, during a couple of my meetings, there were two dogs that were playing so hard and were having so much fun. And so it's just been this really nice constant for me over the last couple of years during the pandemic where I, for a good chunk of that, about 18 months of that was alone and was not touched by another human and did not interact with another human. So to be able to see people walking around the lake and and kayaking on the lake or paddleboarding on the lake, you know, it's just been a, an interesting connection for me. It's easy to take what we see every day for granted, but in remembering what she heard about eagles as a child compared to what she sees now, Sarah is able to tap into a deeper sense of gratitude for the eagles she observes from her own home. The same sentiment could be said for our water here in Minnesota. It's easy to take for granted the tremendous water resources we have available to us, but in doing so, we can forget how important it is to protect and steward what we do have. Winona's karst geology supports a large number of cold water streams, which fish like trout thrive in. Local groups like Minnesota Trout Unlimited and the Upper Mississippi River Initiative are working to monitor water quality and stabilize stream banks so that both people and ecosystems can continue to benefit from what trout have to offer. Scott Sherman, Winona's mayor, shares about the importance of trout to the community. One of the interesting things that I find about trout fishing in the area, and I do not fish, is that the trout fishermen protect their secret spots as much as they would protect, as someone would protect like grandma's cookie recipe. You know, that secret ingredient, they can't give that away. But very often I've heard, you know, oh, where do you go fishing? And it's the standard, if I told you I'd have to kill you. Now what's interesting in not being a fisherman, I've gone out with trout fishermen just to like hold their stuff and drink a beer while they're out fishing. I really think it's like an art form, to be honest. It's relaxing. I can tell they do that, you know, the fishermen do this to be relaxed, to be out in nature, not think about work, life, whatever it might be. But it really truly becomes an art form. I, I, my offices are, have traditionally been in Colorado. And one of the, my coworkers uh, came here to Winona and stayed with me for a few days while we were traveling through the area. Now he lives to fish and lives to trout fish. That is his thing. Out in Colorado, he was telling me he could be out at his spot for an entire day and maybe catch one or two fish. Then he comes here and literally is just dropping a line and catching trout. Like he caught like eight trout in an hour, something like that. Huh. And it's catch and release. He was 
releasing them. But that's just something I noticed with someone from who grew up, lives in Colorado, loves fishing. It came here and was just like, holy smokes, this is amazing. Like literally out your buddy's backyard, you know, right out the back door, I can catch fish all day long. As Scott expresses, Winona's natural resources bring fulfillment to people within and beyond the Driftless region, a place of attraction for fishers from around the country. Being a convergence point, however, is nothing new for Winona. Scott continues, speaking to how Winona's place on the Mississippi has made it a hub for gathering, transportation, and development for generations upon generations. I, I know that logging was one of the largest industries for Winona and Winona after settlement was kind of built on uh, logging. Um, at this time now, it is still an important part. Um, we have a port authority that's a special arm of our city. It's unique in that one of our transportation opportunities for commercial business as well as recreational business is the Mississippi River. So it's since settlement, Winona has been built on having the Mississippi local to us. That's why I believe the indigenous uh, people of this area located here originally, because it was next to waterway um, that helped with transportation, um, albeit it's a beautiful area. Um, but I think, you know, that the water is a transportation piece uh, that has um, given many different uh, societies or time frames within history in Winona, um, many different opportunities to benefit from having the river so close. And then obviously the tributaries that run into it. And um, I think that's, that's a unique piece of, um, you know, the big muddy is uh, the fact that we move a lot of, a lot of commercial freight through here. Winona is a Dakota name for firstborn daughter. The Dakota people have had a relationship with the Mississippi long before the city was developed for the logging industry. But by the 1800s, large rafts of logs and sawn lumber were commonly seen being floated down the Mississippi River. In 1851, the Dakota people ceded most of their land to the U.S. government in the 1851 Dakota Land Session Treaties. Since then, Winona's stretch of the Mississippi has been through great changes, from a booming steamboat port during the 1860s to the implementation of a lock and dam system a few miles upstream in the 1930s. Today, people continue to live on, recreate on, and work on the Mississippi in many ways. It's that convergence of activity that attracts people to Winona and all of its waters. We return now to Chuck, who shares his favorite time of season for witnessing many of Winona's gifts coming to full bloom along its banks and streams. Wanted to mention something about the trout streams that we have in the area. You know, and we're we're blessed with probably a couple hundred of them in the Griffiths area. And they are very beautiful places, particularly in the early spring, when you've got several things that come together. The spring wildflowers are blooming. Uh, the warblers are migrating. There are insects hatching and fish eating. It's uh, 
Yeah, it's one of the best times of the year to be in one of the, one of our many small valleys with a trout stream in it. What's your favorite time of year to connect to the place where you reside? And where might water play a role in that experience? Through the stories we've heard today, we've gotten a taste of the waters that make Winona unique and how the life those waters host is celebrated by the people who call this place home. Next week, we'll listen to stories of personal memories and early experiences that helped shape Winona's relationships to their waters. In the meantime, check out the show notes for links to resources and more information on the themes we discussed, and consider sharing this podcast or leaving a review if you've enjoyed what you've heard. You can visit the We Are Water Minnesota exhibit at the Winona County History Center, March 3rd through April 25th, 2022, and you can follow We Are Water Minnesota on Facebook or Twitter at We Are Water MN. The Watershed Podcast is hosted and produced by myself, Megan Reich. Special thanks to Marlena Gonzalez, who gathered the audio stories on this episode. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit about water and people. It is led by the Minnesota Humanities Center in partnership with the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, the Minnesota Historical Society, University of Minnesota Extension, and the Minnesota Department of Health, Agriculture, and Natural Resources. We Are Water Minnesota is funded in part with money from the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Fund that was created with the vote of the people of Minnesota on November 4, 2008, and by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Thank you for listening.